I'll be totally honest, I think marketing is a bit of a frustrating industry to work in. Why? Well, because there's no clear, foolproof rules to follow. There's no proven strategy that works for everyone. And this is different from from many other jobs. Accountants have foolproof ways to complete a profit and loss statement, and dentists have foolproof rules to replace a tooth. Plumbers have learnt a foolproof way to fix a shower, and chefs design foolproof ways to cook an omelette. I know I'm oversimplifying things here, but in most other industries, you'll find very clear guidelines and advice that you can follow to deliver repeatable results. If I if I follow Gordon Ramsay's omelette recipe to a T, I'll probably make a very good omelette. It won't be perfect, but it will be close. Marketing, however, marketing is different. I could follow Apple's marketing strategy to a T, apply it to my business but it's unlikely to yield these same results. Marketing is just far more chaotic. It's constantly changing and finding success can feel very difficult and it can feel very disheartening. That's one reason why I love the world of behavioural science, why I spend most of these episodes on Nudge sharing behavioural science tips with you. These tips, they've been tested in real-world studies with repeatable results, which, if applied correctly, should also work for your business. But Behavioural science tactics can't make up your whole marketing strategy. They are too specific. They're not broad enough. You can't grow a company from a $10 million a year company to a $1 billion a year company just by applying the scarcity or social proof principles. You need a broader strategy to encompass these tips. And there's no recipe book for telling you exactly how to come up with this strategy. It'll be different and unique to each business. There is help, though. Now, this help won't guarantee success, but it will help you steer towards it. It's by learning from those who have done the same, hearing what mistakes they made and what worked. Now, a lot of this advice will contain survivorship bias, but it's still better than nothing. And I think this advice can help marketers create a more reliable marketing strategy. That's why I was so excited to talk to today's guest, Kip Bodner. Kip is Chief Marketing Officer at HubSpot, and he's helped HubSpot grow from a $10 million a year company to a company that generates $1.7 billion a year in revenue. Here's Kip to introduce himself. I'm Kip Bodner. I am the CMO at HubSpot and the co-host of Marketing Against the Grain. In today's episode, Kip shares his lessons from his journey, the marketing principles that worked for him and the strategies that also failed. Remember today, the goal isn't to follow his advice directly, but to try and apply that advice to your job and to your business. Because in marketing, there is no recipe book to follow. However, there is plenty good advice to help you out. All of this coming up after the break. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, to kick off, I asked Kip about the early days of HubSpot when they were just a $10 million a year company. And I wanted to know some of the strategies he used at that stage to help them grow. And Kip shared some very good advice. 
Yeah, when when we're in the early days of HubSpot, you know, ten million dollar type of business, and we, you know, when you're a ten million dollar business, you have aspirations to become a hundred million dollar business, right? And then once once you become a hundred million dollar business, then you you start thinking about maybe I could become a billion dollar business. So when you're a ten million dollar business starting to go through a million dollar business, I think there was one thing, Phil, that we obsessed on that that's still relevant today. It's it's a principle that everybody can get their head around, which is. For my team, I have a list of first principles of like, what do we believe about marketing? And most of those things are things we believe about marketing that are either underemphasized or that's that the world kind of does not yet agree with us on, but we think we're going to be right in the future. One of the most durable ones, and I think one of the least controversial ones is like, how do we provide 10 times the value of any of uh, to our customer prospect versus the competition? And so the early days of HubSpot, that's like, that's what it was all about. Uh, I, I like to this day, I remember walking home, I, I would walk to and from the office and I was walking home. And I just got the idea. I was like, we're paying all this money for like stock photography. We're serving all these SMBs who just don't have the images for their content. What if we just like paid a photographer to take a thousand stock photos that we could just give away for free for people to use? I was like, instead of them paying hundreds of dollars, they'll get that value for free. And that is like a, it's a 10 X value. And this was back before, you know, AI image creation, all those things were like stock photography was one, not that great and two, very expensive. And so we did that and it took off. It was huge because we'd hit that delta in value where what it cost out in the world versus what we were giving it away free for was so significant that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people came and discovered HubSpot through that one idea. And you can still apply that principle today in, in any way, in any business, but it is the principle I think we spent the most time obsessing over. We would always have discussions of like, is this good enough? Is it valuable enough? Are we positioning this, whether it be an ebook, blog article, a product detail page? Is it clear enough? Is it is it clearly depicting the value? Like that was lesson number one. Kip and his team would constantly ask themselves, does this idea have the ability to get 10x returns? If it does, then let's try it. If not, then let's not bother. This advice really resonated with me. I found in my job and in this podcast that it is very easy to say yes. It's easy to say yes to new guests, to going on other podcasts, to working on a new course or collaborating with another creator. Saying yes is very easy. Saying no is very hard. But this 10x principle is a way to help overcome this. I can analyse each possible project and ask myself, will the effort I put in have a 10x return? If not, let's not do it. And I think this is a much smarter way to manage someone's workload and to determine which projects a marketing team should work on. And it's something I need to start doing urgently. Anyway, back to Kip for lesson number two. Lesson number two. We we had uh, Christopher Lockheed on marketing against the grain, and he had a, he had a sentence that I loved, which is like, "Different is a choice, better is a debate," right? And you don't want to ever get in the better debate with people. You want to be different. And the other thing we did in the early days is we were a transformational business. We weren't a better mousetrap business. We were a transformational business. And the difference is, when you're a better mousetrap, it's like, oh, I have this product. It's like these other products, but it's. 10 times cheaper, 10 times better. And you just basically debate with people. Is it 10 times better? Is it 10 times cheaper? And you convince some portion of those people every month to, to believe that. We said, hey, we, we do inbound marketing. And inbound marketing is a very different way of doing marketing. You've been used to, you were used to doing outbound marketing and outbound marketing is becoming less effective. 
So you should come over and do this inbound marketing strategy with us. And it was a clear kind of highly delineated choice between the old way and the new way. The challenge with transformation is it takes a while. You know, it's more evangelical. You have to convince people. They have to to see it. You kind of get the early adopters, and then you kind of sneak along and get some of the later adopters. And so it took us, you know, five to seven years for inbound marketing to really take off, really become a thing. But when it did, we had such market share and mind share that that really catalyzed our ability to become a $100 million business. I don't think we become a $100 million business without inbound marketing. So a bit of context for those who don't know, HubSpot popularized this term, inbound marketing. Inbound marketing is now very well known in marketing circles, but for the non-marketers out there, inbound marketing essentially means creating content that draws people in. It might be that the content's not even related to the product or service you offer, but once you've drawn people into your blog, your email newsletter, your webinar series, whatever it is, you can then start to convert them. It's a smart tactic. Research shows that we're more likely to buy products from people and brands we know and trust. And HubSpot became that brand by drawing people in with their content. Kip's point, however, isn't just that they popularized inbound marketing. It's that their marketing stood for something totally different from their competitors. While HubSpot's competitors like Salesforce and Marketo were talking about features and product benefits, HubSpot was teaching people how to do inbound marketing. This might have harmed their short-term sales, but it grew their brand awareness and it grew their trust. And this, partly due to the mere exposure principle and the liking principle, helped HubSpot grow. However, to get there, you need the confidence to stick with this message for years on end. It's not an easy thing to do, sticking with a single message. Most marketers feel the need to change strategies regularly and tweak their copy. But sticking with a message can lead to benefits. You know... I think it's one of those things where it's hard to stick with it because it's 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 like going to the gym. Creating a new category or, or, or is like going to the gym where like you need to go to the gym for a few months before you really start seeing a meaningful difference in like how you feel and how you look. And if you're like, oh, I went to the gym three days this week, but I don't really like feel or look any different. And you're like, I'm just going to stop going to the gym. Well, that's what a lot of people, you know, think about and ends up happening in category creation. Instead, you have to say, no, we are right in this journey. And this is something that the world needs. I think it was easier for us to stick with because we were highly mission driven. And we were like, this is the path of truth and justice is what we would say. It's like, hey, we're on the path of truth and justice. This is the right thing that we are doing. It is good for businesses. It's good for consumers. And we have to stick with it. Doesn't mean that we didn't have lots of debate about not sticking with it. But all and but Time and time again, we always made the choice to stick with it. I've spoken about consistency in the past on the show, but to recap, there is heaps of evidence that suggests that sticking with a single message in your marketing is vital. Research by Millwood Brown shows that multiple messages, if they're put out by one brand, are far more likely to be forgotten than one consistent message, regardless of how creative or impactful that message might be. So, Three lessons so far. Staying consistent boosts recall. Different trumps better. And look for 10x returns on your projects. But Kip's got a few more tips for you. This one is on pricing. Here's the smart pricing tactic that HubSpot used to dramatically grow their sales. One of your jobs is to spend 50% in marketing and 50% of your time in the business. And if you're thinking about in the business, you're thinking about product, business strategy, sales, one of the big areas to spend your time is pricing and packaging. And the reason is, is that 
most companies out there, especially subscription companies, are under-optimized, under-leveraged in their pricing and packaging. In the early days of HubSpot, we had a challenge with customer dollar retention. So we'd have people cancel and we would have to sell a bunch of new customers to kind of make up that that cancellation. It's hard to grow on top of that, right? And so what we said is, our, our problem is we had what was called a single access pricing model. You could pay us you know, a set number for our basic edition, our professional uh, edition, or our enterprise edition. That all transformed for us when we added a second pricing model, which is, hey, in addition to that, you're going to pay us for the number of contacts you're marketing to, sending emails to, et cetera. And once we did that, then as people grew their list, they paid us more. And that offset the people who were canceling or churning off of their subscription. And that allowed us to grow at a much faster rate. And I think a, a huge tool for any business is pricing and packaging, and it, it's under leveraged. And if you're a marketer, your job is to clearly articulate the value of the product and make sure the value of that product maps to the pricing model so that you're properly capturing all of that value in the pricing and packaging. HubSpot started to rapidly grow when they charged customers not just a flat fee for using their product, but a variable fee based on how many email contacts the customer had. This genius pricing strategy allowed HubSpot to charge their power users, who relied on the tool the most, more than their light users. Now, if this example seems a little too abstract to some of you, here's a, a parallel example of similar pricing model that you've almost certainly experienced. Nespresso coffee pods. See, prior to these pods, at-home coffee was sold almost consistently on a total volume basis. £4 for a jar of instant coffee or £10 for a bag of beans. Nespresso changed the game. They'd charge not based on total volume, but on number of units. Rather than saying £15 for 100 grams, they'd say 50 pence for one cup of coffee. This pricing model did two things. One, it helped customers conceptualize the value they were paying for. Buying 30 cups of coffee feels like better value than 100 grams, even if they equal the same amount of coffee. So that's the first thing it helped with. The second was that it changed the competitor set for Nespresso. Rather than competing against other similar instant coffee brands, they started to compete against other companies that sold singular cups of coffee like Starbucks. And compared to Starbucks, 50 pence for a cup of coffee from Nespresso seems like a really good deal. This value-led pricing worked wonders for Nespresso and it worked for HubSpot as well. Okay, we've covered four lessons so far. Look for 10x projects, different trumps better, stay consistent with your message and price your product on the value it provides. But Kip is just getting started. He's got three more lessons for you, all coming up after this quick break. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. 
All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Okay, welcome back to the show. Here's Kip's next marketing lesson. It is an interesting lesson that I think differentiates HubSpot from most other marketing teams out there. Here it is. We don't make something unless we know how we're going to distribute it. And that is where most marketers screw up. They say, oh, you know what? I got this awesome story to tell. And I'm going to spend a bunch of money making this perfect video or this perfect story or this perfect blog post, what have you. And they're like, well, now nobody sees it because I don't have a way to get it out there. And so we don't make anything unless we know how it's going to get distributed. And so, for example, it's like, cool, if you're writing a blog post, blogs are discovered through organic search. And so what is the keyword? What is the topic? What is the link building strategy? What are all the things that are going to lead that article to be discovered in organic search? Right? Or, oh, you're making this video. Great. Oh, this video is to be on stage at our big inbound event. It's going to be seen by over 10,000 people. Great. That's a good reason to make a video, not to just make a random video that might go on a web page that nobody ever sees, right? And too often marketers get obsessed with the story and not the distribution. And we always start with the distribution and then make sure that the distribution and the story fit together well. Earlier in my career, I remember chatting with Steve Rayson. Now, Steve was founder of BuzzSumo. At the time, BuzzSumo was a very, very small team but with a huge marketing presence. Steve ran all the marketing on his own, yet despite just being a one-person team, their content, their blog, their website would get millions of views online every month. I asked him how he did it, and he said it was fairly simple. He said, we spent as much time distributing the content as we did creating it. He said too many marketers spend 90% of their time creating content and expect distribution as a given, but he says the opposite was true. Good content only gets seen with good distribution. So 50% of his time was spent writing the content and then the remaining 50% was spent distributing it. It's a really important lesson. But time for another lesson. I asked Kip how he hires fantastic marketers and he explained. As a marketing leader, your number one job is hiring. The problem is most marketing leaders hire for experience and conformity, which means hey, have you worked at companies like mine? And are you going to get along with everybody? Are you going to conform? Are you going to be part of the team? Are you going to be easy to get along with? All of those things. Those are the wrong things to look for. What I'm looking for is, what skills do you have that are directly related to what I need? And so if, if I'm expecting you to come in and grow my podcast network, well, Have you done that before in some way, shape, or form? It doesn't need to be for another software company. It doesn't need to be in technology, but like, show me you've done that. Show me you've grown something of some magnitude. I will tell you, there are people out there who I think just have a growth gene that they just in their head know how to growth growth something. And it is far, far easier to say, hey, you know how to grow this thing. I want you to grow this type of thing. And here's how to think about growing this type of thing and apply your growth gene and your DNA to that problem versus, well, you understand this problem, but you don't know how to grow anything. Like that almost always leads to failure. It almost always leads to not being successful. And I think that's where most marketers get tripped up is they're like, oh, I want somebody with the perfect set of skills from these perfect places. And it's like, I don't care about any of that. Have you grown something? And are you just really smart? 
Now, Kip has the benefit of HubSpot's brand name and recognition. For each job they post, they probably get thousands of applicants. Finding those who have grown something or built their own audience from that list, from that huge list, probably isn't too hard. For those of you at smaller companies, though, I think there still is a solution. Now, rather than expecting the perfect candidate to come to you, you could probably find marketers, creators, writers in your space who are already creating the types of content or work that you admire. Kip says you should go after them because they've done it before. And if they've done it before, they can almost certainly do it again. This is really good advice for hiring managers. But what about those looking for a job, especially those with less experience, perhaps those starting out in their career straight from university or perhaps transitioning into marketing? I asked Kip for his advice. Look, what I always tell people is that marketing is the world's greatest meritocracy. You don't have to have any type of education to do marketing other than educating yourself. Like some, some board, you know, like if you're a doctor, like a board has to tell you that you could practice medicine. There's no like board of marketers out there who grants you permission to be a marketer, right? You're, you're either a marketer or you're not based on your ability to teach yourself. And so if that's the case, then your ability to be successful and make it in marketing is directly just limited by your ability to learn and apply information you learn. Information is essentially free. And so if I were out there, if I was if I was 18 to 22 years old right now, all I would do is obsess about learning the mechanics and strategies and principles of marketing and applying them to something, whether it be an email newsletter, grow, growing a big YouTube channel, TikTok following, what have you. Because once you have that, one, you can kind of start monetizing and then maybe you don't even need to do a real job. Or... You, you can demonstrate like, hey, I understand this. I, I've learned all the things. The problem with most people in marketing is that they don't try enough stuff to get the failure feedback. Like you need to know like, oh, I tried the show and it sucked and it sucked and it didn't work because this part was boring. I didn't frame up the intro, right? All of those things. Until you learn those lessons, like you can't get good at it. This got me wondering, what would Kip do today if he had to stand out? What would he do if he had to present himself in a positive light to marketing companies out there? How would he build his own audience and, and get a job? I asked him. Yeah, if I was 23-year-old me, because when I was 23 years old, I'd wake up at 5 a.m. every day and I'd write a blog post and then I'd go to a day job and then I'd come back and I'd do some more blogging, social media and stuff. If I were me right now, I would do the same thing approach, but I would do YouTube. I think YouTube is the most powerful platform uh, that we have today for building a highly engaged audience that you can either directly or indirectly monetize for yourself, for business, through partnerships, what have you. And I would obsess about building a YouTube channel with 100,000 subscribers. Like that, I would wake up every single day thinking about how you can do it. I am right now, like our YouTube channel is almost to 10,000 subscribers. And I'm obsessed about like, how do we get to 100,000 subscribers? Because that's where I think you really start being relevant in that platform. Okay, very good advice. Definitely not something I've mastered. But while on the subject, you should go check out Nudge Podcast on YouTube. I could definitely use some more subscribers on there. So let's recap all these lessons. We had look for 10x projects, different trumps better, stay consistent with your message, price your product on the value it provides. And then after the break, we covered how you should only create if you know how to distribute, how you should hire people not for conformity, but for demonstrated ability. And if you're looking to be hired, demonstrate your ability in a public setting. 
This advice is golden. It's helped me rethink how I market this podcast and it's helped me in my day job too. So I really hope it helps you. Now we've reached time today, but Kip had two more lessons for me. He told me one lesson that he said almost every other marketer disagrees with. That was a really good one. And he told me how you should apply AI in your marketing team. I've made these two extra lessons available in a bonus episode, which is free for all Nudge newsletter subscribers. To get access for free, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes and and subscribe to the Nudge newsletter and you'll be sent the episode straight away. For existing subscribers, there is a link to the bonus episode in the email I sent you announcing this episode that you're listening to now. So just check the PS there and you'll find it. And if you can't see that, just click the link in the show notes and add your email in there. It'll just check you're subscribed and then take you to the episode. So do go check out that bonus episode. Those two lessons are fantastic. Now, if you want more marketing wisdom from Kip, and you definitely should go get more marketing wisdom from Kip, you can go and listen to his brilliant podcast, Marketing Against the Grain. It's a fantastic show. It's full of cracking insights like the ones he shared today. So go and give that show a listen. Kip was kind enough to have me on the show. So if you want an episode to start listening to, just search Phil Agnew, Marketing Against the Grain, and you can give that show a listen. All right, that is it for today. As always, I'm your host, Phil Agnew. Follow me on LinkedIn for daily behavioral science tips. And I'll be back next week with another episode of Nudge. Cheers.